There is a time for silence, and there is a time for waiting your turn. But if you know how you feel, and you so clearly know what you need to say, you'll know it. I don't think you should wait. I think you should speak now. <laughs> Drop everything yeah. now. Wow, that was incredible. <laughs> I did for, I was like, where, I was like, wow, where is this coming You're like, what the <laughs> hell is she talking about? No, don't mind me just, you know, reciting the opening to the Speak Now tour because it's burned into my memory forever. Wow, love that for That's you. what we're talking about today. Um, Taylor Swift. Drop everything now. Welcome to the Great Obsession Podcast. <laughs> I'm Riley. And I'm Sam and not going to sing, but I hope that's <laughs> that's for all of your benefit, not mine. Um, but today, as you maybe have realized, we are going to talk all things Taylor Swift, specifically um, with a focus on her latest announcement that... The Speak Now Taylor's Version album will be dropping on July 7th, 2023. Yeah, so we're in celebration of that. We thought it would be fun to do a little trip down memory lane and talk. I mean, first we'll kind of talk about just general thoughts about the announcement, but um, we, we want to talk through each track on Speak Now, what those tracks mean to us, what they mean in, you know, the the general history of Taylor Swift, the lore behind them, and maybe speculate a little bit on what the Taylor's version of Speak Now might sound like and look like. So we're very excited. I think I have a lot to say about um, Taylor Swift, as we know from previous episodes about Taylor <laughs> Swift. <laughs> yes, um, as always, we have many, many Taylor Swift thoughts, and Riley is my resident Taylor Swift historian who knows every single thing about Taylor Swift from any point in her life. Um, so I think you're going to be a really valuable resource for this discussion. I'm sure I will learn a lot. That's true. I Especially this era. I mean, all eras of Taylor Swift, I feel like I am a historian and a scholar. But like, Speak Now is a, a very memorable era for me. Because it was my formative years, ages 13 and 14, uh, this album was very formative to me, and um, I'm like a little bit uh, almost apprehensive to let the rest of the world see it, because I know a lot of new Swifties haven't listened to Speak Now, mm. like they only listen to her new stuff, and so it feels a little bit like it's it's my secret, or it's like the secret mm. of, you know, longtime Swifties. Yeah, so, I hadn't even thought about that, and I think that's a really interesting thought that she is simultaneously maintaining this older demographic that's grown up with her while also gathering this brand new demographic of young people to continue to mm -hmm. mature with her i think that's really it really kind of freaks me out actually we were just talking before we started recording about how we're both sort of mutually freaked out by how big and popular Taylor Swift is because it's just mm -hmm. like a mind-boggling incomprehensible level of fame that I kind of get the heebie-jeebies when I think about no because I can't think of a single other person who's as famous and as relevant as she is right now yeah certainly not right now I think maybe I don't know artists 
prior to when we were born, like the Beatles or something. I don't know. But it just is. Yeah. It's just insane. And it's, it's crazy. You know what's wild is that the moment I, I know there was a moment at some point when I was like 13 years old where I listened to Fearless and I fell in love with it and I decided to stan. Like I decided that I was going to make liking Taylor Swift be a big personality trait and that I was going to make it a goal to try and meet her and that I was going to be obsessed with like it was a conscious choice I made as a 13 year old and that I can't believe that that decision <laughs> is continually impacting me at the age of 26. Mhm. Yeah. That's wild. The fact that she's been this relevant for this long and being a fan now is just as fun as it was when I was 13. Like, I can't think of a single other experience in my life that has been consistent from age 13 until now. Um, it's me. It's you. That's true. Thank no, you. No, we, we weren't even friends till we were 14. <laughs> we knew we were friends. We were like acquaintances. I went to your birthday. That's true. You did. I don't think you went to my birthday, though, to be fair. No, because the first birthday I, of yours I remember was when you got One Direction tickets. Was that when you turned 14, 15? 15. That would have been later in high school, 15. So, yeah, like, I think I decided to stand Taylor Swift before, before you and I You decided like, became... to stand me, wow. Yeah. I hate this yeah. for myself. I thought, <laughs> one thing I had, I don't have any more. She is the longest and most consistent parasocial relationship in my life. It's so stupid. Okay. That's so stupid. But you know what I'm realizing? Um, Riley, what are you drinking? Oh, my God. Um, I'm drinking... I actually don't know what to call this. A blended coffee, maybe? Mm. Um, it's cold brew concentrate, oat milk, chocolate protein powder, peanut butter... And frozen bananas. Ooh, so it's like a, like a a coffee smoothie. Like a, a yeah, like a coffee protein smoothie. Shake. Like I don't want to call it a protein shake because it's not. To me, a protein shake is like milk and protein powder. So it's like a blended mm. cold brew mocha situation. It kind of actually tastes. A little bit like when you go to Costco and you get that cold brew mocha freeze. Like you know a granita. You don't know what a granita is. That's so cute of you. Um, yeah, granita is like essentially a blended mocha. Oh, why have I never heard of that? I don't know. It's interesting because maybe granitas are only... Because here's the thing, only like standalone coffee stands in Spokane call them granitas. Like if you're at Starbucks, they're maybe calling it like a frappuccino. When mm. you're at Dutch Bros, it's like a Dutch freeze. When you're yeah. at, oh. you know, versus I think just like a generic okay. stand, they're calling it a granita. But I guess I don't know. I'm going to Google granita because okay. now I'm – because. Did you know that? So, like, specific to Spokane? Like, Red Bull Italian sodas are not universal. I thought everybody had those. And then I found out that that is not the case. Yeah, I know. That's a big Spokane I know. thing. Is it a big Seattle thing, too? Uh, no. 
I mean, I will That's say so interesting. Uh, it's interesting because I think Italian sodas in general seem like they're a lot bigger in Spokane, at least than in Seattle. And certainly uh-huh. uh, like an energy drink, like a Rockstar or a Red Bull are way more popular in Spokane than they are here or even like when we were in DC I feel like people didn't drink them and maybe it's the the age demographic like maybe it's because I lived in Spokane when I was a teenager and teenagers drink rock stars and red bulls and so maybe I'm just yeah. not exposed now that could be no but you would think that in Utah the land of the dirty soda that that would be a big deal because mm-hmm. Like, they don't drink coffee, so they should be drinking Red Bull Italian sodas, but they don't. They drink Dr. Pepper with cream and coconut in it. Which sounds delish. Yeah, it's really good. So sweet, though, it'll make you sick. Also, I haven't asked you yet. What are you drinking? Oh, um, I'm just drinking (laughs) a regular classic hot latte. Um, Oh, no sweetener. No sweetener. But I did have a milkshake last night, and it was real... It was really delicious, but it was very sweet. And then I also had a Shirley Temple because live while you're young. And I oh, think I love a Shirley Temple. I know the Shirley Temple. I feel like is Jack and I's signature drink. Uh, I just can't. I never foresaw myself at 26 years old just like downing Shirley Temples like it's going out of style. That was <laughs> that was like an unexpected um, box on my bingo card. But all that to say is, I think I'm like a little sweeted out today. So no sweetener. Yeah. That was a long-winded story to explain why I'm not having... Why you're not having the sweetener. Mm-hmm. No, but it makes sense. I, I feel the same. If I have a lot of sweet stuff or a lot of junk food, oh, junk food, excuse me, one day, then the next day I won't want any. Also, just curious on the topic of Shirley Temples, have you ever had a dirty Shirley? No. That's where it has vodka in it. Oh, no, I have not. Me either. Oh. But I want to try it. <laughs> that was a real twist i really thought you were gonna be like it's so good i will say um i think part of why we have so many shirley temples is because jack doesn't drink but Mm -hmm. when you're at like a bar or something because this happens to us all the time where we're like at a wedding rehearsal or we're just like at a function that's clearly like a like everyone else is drinking and you like don't uh-huh. want to be there with just like water because it's depressing. But if you get like a Shirley yeah. Temple, like the bartender has to make that and you feel like you're drinking a real drink. And so um, I think that's probably why we drink so many Shirley Temples. We also just have a giant. I bought this massive bottle of grenadine, which is like the flavoring that you put in Shirley Temples. And like, what am I going to put mm. grenadine in? If not a Shirley Temple, like like if not a Shirley Temple, I have no, a massive massive thing of it. So whenever we have any kind of Sprite or something like that, we're like Shirley Temple it up. They're so good, yeah, and so easy to make. Anyway, Anyways. we can probably cut most of that out. That was a long winded discussion. Shirley <laughs> <laughs> Temples. Lol. Um, coming back to then our discussion of Taylor Swift because we've gotten a little derailed talking about our drinks. I first, before we dive into the speak now of it all, want to address the elephant in the room. This is not the elephant in the room. <laughs> the fact that I have been to the era's tour. Yes, Riley's living in a post-era's existence. Yes, I'm in my post-era's era now. Um, 
Sam's still in her pre-era's era for a few more mm-hmm. months, and so we're I'm never you know, kind of being this. Never felt more separated from you. I know. I can't believe it's not going to be until July that we've both had an era's experience. I know, which is actually so crazy that she is doing just the U.S. tour over this long, like this span of time. I just feel like it's just so many people. Also. I know. I'm kind of stressed, weirdly, about her going on, like, a world tour. Because I'm like, am I going to have to keep up, like, this level of, like, tracking? What songs are she playing? Who's she bringing on? Like, what drama is happening through a world tour? I mean, this is... It's this tour is like taking me on like an emotional ride that I didn't anticipate. <laughs> I just It's cuz it's been 5 years since she was on tour. I know. It's uh I forget what it's like. I do forget. But you having recently experienced the Eras tour, give us give us a quick overview of your experience. Your rate it. Give us oh, your review. Oh, now this is interesting. Speaking of ratings, this is actually something fun that Abby and I did, and maybe you and I should do this before you go to your tour, is that um, Abby's the person I went with, by the way, for listeners. Shout out to Abby, because I know she listens to every episode. She and I went together, and bef- in the car ride before the tour, we went through every song on the set list and rated from 1 to 10 how excited we were to see that particular song. Ooh, that's a good idea. Yeah, it was very interesting because she and I had some differing opinions on how excited we were to see certain songs. For example, she was very hype about Tis the Damn Season, whereas I was a little more like, eh. Um, And then I was extremely hype about, I actually can't think of anything that I was really hype about that she wasn't. But anyway, I do feel like most of the performances lived up to my expectations of how hype I was for them. Mm-hmm. Particularly, I would say my, like, top three most excited songs. No. Top three most... Top three songs that I was most <laughs> excited about... Whoa. <laughs> um, were, number one, Enchanted, yes. which was everything. I cried the minute that, like, soft guitar strumming part started. I just, like, the tears started flowing. I couldn't sing along to the first half of it because I was, like so choked up just standing there like with my hand on my chest sobbing and um I knew that was gonna happen because I cried during the Enchanted Wildest Dreams mashup on the 1989 tour and this Mm -hmm. is like Enchanted in its full glory with her in a big ball gown and everything so god it just really did something to me then um another one I was really hype about was Cruel Summer Mm -hmm. which was everything that performance was everything i think taylor knows that that song is one that we really love and that's like an ultimate fan favorite so she kind of um extends it and it's the whole time i was like i don't want this song to be over like it was so hype and the whole stadium was screaming the bridge and it was just incredible and then i want to say my other song i was most hyped to see was my tears ricochet and and yeah it was incredible getting to scream I can go anywhere I want, just not home in a stadium was was quite the experience. Also, honorable mention to Champagne Problems mm. because screaming 
what a shame she's fucked in the head with the stadium and Taylor making crazy eyes during that part. It was so good. I will say um, that one I'm like mildly nervous about because I'm going with my mom. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to have to be like, what happens here stays what? here, mom. I don't know any of these words outside this stadium. I promise. You just, you got to uh, convince your mom to have a few drinks and then I feel like she'll I know, I'll need to like pre-game her. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of drinks, this just made me think. Oh, yes. The actual being at the concert experience in the stadium is so expensive Mm -hmm. because i spent we got there at like 2 p.m i want to say so like we had to eat dinner there at the stadium and the only option is to eat within the stadium at all the little like stands in there and oh my god it was so expensive so i ordered a a drink in a little disco ball cup Mm -hmm. forty dollars for a fucking vodka crayon in a disco <laughs> ball cup. Craziest thing I've ever heard. And it was so funny because... Kill myself. So you were texting me ab- about how you were going to order this drink. And there's a time difference. So I didn't realize that you were already at the stadium. And when you uh, told me that, I was like, girl, you just got scammed. Get out of that bar. <laughs> and then you were like, no, I'm at the stadium. And I was like, oh... That actually checks out. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, because it's your only option in the stadium, they know they can scam you. I just, I was so annoyed because I wanted to just get like a lemonade or something. Mm-hmm. And then I asked, like, can I get lemonade in that disco ball cup? And they're like, oh, you only get the disco ball cup if you order a double. And I was like, so oh, stupid. fine, give me a fucking double vodka crayon. <laughs> they gave me one and it was $40 and I hated my life. Um, it's fine. I have the cute disco ball. I I hope you keep that disco ball forever. I will. I'll keep it forever because I spent freaking forty dollars on that thing. I'm just so annoyed because at at Love on Tour for Harry Styles, they Mm -hmm. had like a signature Harry Styles mocktail that you Mm -hmm. could get in like in this little cup. So it was like twelve dollars, which I was like, whatever, twelve dollars for a mocktail. Also, um, I just wish they had had that. I didn't want to spend $40 Here's on the a Here's the thing. As previously stated on this podcast, not everybody drinks. And, like, don't yeah. create an option where the only people who are able to access that merch is, like, somebody who drinks. Like, I know. let's be a friendly, sober environment, please. Please. I know. It was so rude. So, whatever. Then, um... We also, Abby and I also got Chick-fil-A within the stadium, but that was like twice the price of regular Chick-fil-A, of course. Really? So, oh my gosh, like we got two chicken sandwiches and fries and I want to say it was like $35. Like it should not be that much. Yo, I will say Chick-fil-A though is, it's expensive here. Like it, it's, it costs significantly more. Prices going up. I feel like we spend 35 when we go to regular Chick-fil-A. Oh, it's so inflation is the bane of my existence and then going off of the chick-fil-a we like were hungry like because we had the chick-fil-a kind of during the openers and then Mm -hmm. right before taylor was coming on i was like like i need one more like something else you gotta gotta have that sustenance yeah exactly it's a three-hour show and i'm not leaving during the show so 
I went out there and had to wait in line for like a hundred hours. I missed the entire second opener, B Badoobie, oh, I think is her uh-huh. name. I completely missed her set because I was in line for this stupid stand. I wanted to get like some popcorn and like another little snack and then some waters. But by the time I got to the front, they were out of popcorn. So I had to order nachos that cost like $15 for like just some corn chips with cheese like dumped on top of them. That's insane. Like, why am I paying $15 for that? And then, of course, I bought waters, which is another, like, they were charging, like, $6 for a water bottle. So, anyway, the whole experience just to, like, eat and drink and get a stupid disco ball cup was easily over $100. And I'm really (laughs) just frustrated by that. But um, the show was great. Taylor made it worth it. She made going to war for tickets worth it. I have no complaints about the show. I feel like I had some set list complaints when, when you know, we first found out what the set list was. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of nice having some snooze songs like The Archer because I could get out my phone and, like, take pictures and, like, mm. film a little bit and stuff like that. Like, she had some songs where I didn't feel like I needed to be in the moment soaking it up. Mm-hmm. Also, my surprise songs were kind of um, out of nowhere Wonderland, which... I never thought I would see live, so that was crazy. And You're Not Sorry, which when she first started playing You're Not Sorry, I had to laugh because that, I'm pretty sure I said in our last episode where we talked about the Eras tour, I was like, I don't need to see it again because we saw it on the Red tour. But I saw it again, and you know what? It went off. The whole crowd knew all the words, so the crowd was like screaming the lyrics, and Taylor was really putting some emotion into it there. Mm -hmm. So like... I still, whenever I come across a video of her playing You're Not Sorry on TikTok, I watch it and I'm like, damn, I can't believe I saw that live. Also, she wore the, the yellow dress, so I won the yellow dress. <laughs> my favorite. That's, I think, all I have to say. Wow. Well, with that, shall we finally <sighs> shall we start speaking transition? now? <laughs> yes, let us, let's, uh, let us speak now and see what sparks fly. Um <laughs> Hate those puns. All right. So what are your thoughts on Speak Now, the album? So, oh, God, a lot. Um, Speak Now, the album <laughs> is... What's your history with Speak Now? Yeah, that's a good question. So Speak Now was my first album release that I experienced as a Swifty oh. because I became, I became a stan, like joined the fandom, whatever, in early 2010 so like as the fearless tour was wrapping up and then fortunately for me taylor had already announced that that year she was dropping speak now so then speak now came out in the fall and that was let's see fall of 2010 would have been eighth grade so that was a very formative time for me eighth grade i feel like that's Mm kind of when i like became sentient (laughs) like (laughs) I I just I I became the the very beginnings of of who I am now as a, mm-hmm. as an eighth grader. Yeah, you were like I'm a real person and not just my parents' child. Yes, yes. Like I'm not just this weird like copy of my parents. I'm starting to have my own interests and my own opinions. And Taylor Swift was one of my very first interests. And so speak now is very um very nostalgic for me, very formative mm-hmm. to me, but I also feel like I didn't get it back then. Like I remember when it came out, I feel, I remember 13, 14-year-old me being kind of disappointed because 
you know, Fearless, the album that I had fallen in love with, had some massive hits like Love Story and You Born mm-hmm. With Me. And Speak Now didn't. Looking back, I think that Speak Now ha- Speak Now works really well as an album, but the songs, mm-hmm. except for maybe Enchanted, the songs don't stand quite as firmly on their own as a song like Love mm-hmm. Story. I, I I think Taylor was going through something where she was growing up. <laughs> and so some of the songs are pretty juvenile, like Mean, mm-hmm. sound very young. And then some of them are very mature, like Dear John, because she was kind of in that phase between the age of 18 and 20 where you're like leaving your worm stage and becoming... I've I've not explained the worm stage on the podcast, but we we've, <laughs> we've decided that you're a, you're a worm when you're like 18 and graduated from high school and you think you know everything. You're just a worm because you you don't actually know anything, and then you start experiencing real life once you grow up and leave the house and becoming even more sentient, <laughs> and you're no longer a worm. So Taylor Swift was experiencing that. And it shows on this album. And I think as a 13-year-old, I didn't fully get that because I was just too young. So yeah, that was really long-winded. But that's kind of um, an overview of my thoughts on Speak Now. I know that this album for you is kind of like how Fearless is for me, where it was like Mm -hmm. extremely formative. So tell me more Mm -hmm. about your experience with Speak Now. So I was already, I was a fan from the debut album. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but I, like, up until Speak Now, I don't think I had ever, with anything, I think similarly to you, that, like, later half of middle school, eighth grade is, like, when I started deciding that I was, like, gonna be obsessed with things. Mm -hmm. Up until that point, I, like, hadn't had any obsessions. And then we hit eighth grade, and it's, like, Twilight, obsessed with it. Taylor Swift, obsessed Mm -hmm. with it. And so I had really enjoyed the debut album and fearless but i wasn't like i'm gonna listen to this forty thousand times and it's the only source of music for the next 12 weeks you know (laughs) but when i hit speak now for me i was i mean i listened to that cd over and over and over again and honestly looking back i must have been so annoying because i insisted insisted that every time my parents drove me somewhere we were going to listen to that album (laughs) which is and it was so ridiculous of me because back then it was the sort of thing where like as soon as you turned the car off the album like restarted yeah you know it's like when you turned it back on it's a CD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, my parents must have listened to, like, <laughs> Mine, Sparks Fly, and Back to December just, like, over and over and over again. Because we were never driving far enough to listen to the entire album. You know, right. they're just driving me to school or, like, driving me to swim practice. And I just constantly listened to it. And I remember my mom being like, well, you know, we could skip to, like, the middle of the album and, like, listen from there. And I was like, why would I do that? That doesn't make any sense. Um, I think that that's maybe why it's so formative for me is because it did just like so wholly capture my attention in a way that nothing had before. Mm-hmm. I do agree that to me, because I fearless and the debut album are like big crush 
albums. Yes. Like, if you've ever had a crush, you can relate to both of them. Like, my sixth grade self could daydream that I was living out the love story fantasy or that I was, like, living out my tied together with a smile life, right? Yes. But on Speak Now, it definitely has like the more it trends much more towards I am in a relationship or I am post relationship which Mm -hmm. obviously maybe it's not obvious but it should be Samantha at eighth grade was having no relationships whatsoever and so I do think that there's a certain level of relatability that doesn't come through on this album because it's all it was just all stuff that I had never experienced I'd never experienced a breakup I'd never experienced a relationship I needed more hypothetical dreaming about someone's songs Mm because that was all I could relate to at that age. So I do kind of get what you're saying as far as we do the previous album. She's like definitely like in worm stage. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a really interesting one. I would I say we should go track by track and kind of talk about what tracks we think are going to be better Mm re-recorded and what tracks... Tracks where we think there might be something lost in the Mm -hmm. 13 years since it was recorded. So should we start with mine? I love it. Let's start with mine. I really loved this song back in the day. As I said, um, I listened to it every single time I got in the car. (laughs) Um, And I was obsessed with this music video for some reason. Oh my gosh, me too. Um, Yeah, so I love this song. I think the re-record is going to be better. I agree. I think that this one has a potential to be a huge sleigh. Because it's very squeaky, the the original. That's what I was going to say. I think her vocals on the original are a little young. Like, mm-hmm. they just don't sound terribly mature. Yeah. What about Speak Now? Or Speak Now. Wow, mm-hmm. that's the name of the album. I was, or it's also the name of a song. Whatever. I'm going to edit that part out. What about Sparks Fly? <laughs> Sparks Fly... Oh, God, I hope it's a sleigh. I really I hope the re-recording is a sleigh. I think it will be because I think she really likes this song. And mm-hmm. this song is so interesting because of the lore surrounding it. So the, um, mm-hmm. this was, back in the day, it was an unreleased song because she wrote it during the debut era when she was 16. And she had just opened for a country artist called Jake Owen at a bar in Portland. And... She, I guess, had a crush on him and wrote this song. And then the fans loved it. And she actually listened with Sparks Fly, which is crazy because she's never done that with any other unreleased song ever since then. I was going to say, until the re-records, she has never done that. So fortunately, with the re-records, I think there's a lot of potential for some of my favorite unreleased songs to one day be released. But that's another Mm -hmm. story. Anyway, Sparks Fly is... In my opinion, top three on this album. It's yep. such a sleigh. It's so fun. It's sexy in like kind of a an innocent young girl type of way. Like I feel like this mm-hmm. song is is about sex, if I'm being honest. <laughs> oh, wait, that's fascinating. Let me look up the lyrics. Yeah. The thing about the Sparks Fly lyrics is, like you said, when I was 13, nothing about this song was sexy because I didn't know what sex was. <laughs> um, but the way this song comes across to me now, knowing that it was written by a 16 year old, I feel like it's, 
It's about having a crush, but like you're imagining having sex with them. That's how mm-hmm. this song comes across. Well, I will say, because she says, I run my fingers through your hair and watch the lights go wild. Hee hee. Mm-hmm. Just keep on keeping your eyes on me. It's just wrong enough to make it feel right. And lead me up the staircase once you, once you, oh my God, it's so hard for me to read lyrics. Won't you whisper soft and slow, I'm captivated by you, baby, like a firework show. Which, right? Yeah, that, um, it's that sexy. Do, that does sound like sex. Yeah. Yeah. Or the way you move is like a full on rainstorm and I'm a house of cards. <sighs> That's a good ass line. It's good. I can't believe she wrote this when she was 16. She's insane. I know. I was so stupid at 16. <laughs> Me too. I was the dumbest bitch alive. I could have never written anything that I would be proud of today. Ooh, she says, get me with those green eyes, baby, as the lights go down. Give me something that'll haunt me when you're not around. It's so good. That's so good. Wow, I'm obsessed. Yeah, I think um, I really like this song. I always have. I had not put together that it was about sex, and you've convinced me that it is about, (laughs) it's like about fantasizing about having sex with somebody that you just have a crush on. Yes. And, like, nothing more. Well, and you know what's um, funny is also, just a, another piece of lore here, is that it's, like, universally kind of agreed upon within longtime fans that this song is about this country artist, Jake Owen. And um, he still exists and has a Twitter. Yes. And when it was... There was a tweet posted that said, like, Sparks Fly is the song that Taylor plays after announcing Speak Now Taylor's version. And he quote tweeted that tweet with just a bunch of surfboard emojis and posted it, which I don't know what the surfboard emojis mean. But I thought it was very funny that he all these years later is acknowledging the song Sparks Fly. Like he's he's making a nod to the fact that he knows this song is about him. And I'm just obsessed with that. But I know you also wanted to discuss uh, the significance of her potentially of her choosing to play sparks fly after the speak now announcement do we think this means anything yes um i don't know i think it certainly means that it's maybe one of her favorite songs if not the favorite song Agreed. on the album um i think it could be maybe a hint that we get a more like she's excited about the recording for sparks fly specifically mm-hmm. and so i think it could really be a sleigh but i i don't know if i have much theorizing beyond that yeah no i agree i think it's just that it's one of just her a fave. favorite songs but enough about sparks fly i could talk about it forever because i love that song but track three back to december an interesting one what do you think the re-recording of this one will sound like so I'm optimistic. Yeah. I'm hoping that it's it's a really good re-record. I think that because this song is more so about like regret and like what could have been rather than we just simply had a painful breakup and I'm really just trying to process the breakup. It's a reflective song. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's an easier thing to tap into of just like general reflection about things that make her feel this way rather than a breakup about a specific person. Mm -hmm. So I'm optimistic about it. This is one of my all-time favorite songs. 
Really? Deadass. Yes. I love this song. This is like my sad girl songs playlist. Oh, interesting. But I'm just like screaming in my car kind of thing. Um, I love this song. I know it's, I feel like it's not that big of a, of a track for you. It's not. For whatever reason, I think it, it falls a little flat to me. Maybe because it lacks some of the emotion that other Taylor Swift ballads have, like Last Kiss. Mm-hmm. And also it just comes across maybe a little juvenile to me. I mean, it was I was I loved it when I was 13, 14, because I feel like it was one of the songs that I, I felt like I could understand. I had never mm-hmm. been in a relationship, obviously, but it's a really simple song. You don't have to read into it too yes. much. It's very clear that she's just apologizing to someone and saying, I'd be interested in, you know, reopening the door to this relationship if you are. And that's pretty, not, it's just not very complex. So maybe mm-hmm. that's why it, it hasn't lasted for me because I like a little bit of complexity. I don't know. Well, I like things simple, clearly. <laughs> No, I think it's just because when she, yeah, when she goes, uh, I miss your tan skin, your sweet smile, so good to me, so right, and how you held me in your arms, I said, all right, blah, 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 and that, and she, like, it, like, builds, builds, but then it kind of, like, falls down, and she's, like, but if we loved again, I swear I'd love you, right, and that portion right there just, like, hang, like, it, like, hangs down, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then the next section where she goes, I go back in time and change it, but I can't. So if the chain is on your door, I understand. And she sings that part so slow. It's almost like speaking in a way. And so like the front of the song is all about like regret and like, I want this back kind of thing. But then we get to the point where she's just resigned and she knows it's not going to happen. And she's like not optimistic about it and has kind of like accepted it a bit by the end of the song and i really enjoy that journey she takes us on this is so interesting i need to listen to this song again and like contemplate that journey because you're right she is kind of going on a a journey there's like a narrative going on through this song of Mm -hmm. i apologize and oh maybe we could reconsider this but oh i actually know that's not going to happen I don't know. It's very interesting. Another thing to note is that on the Speak Now tour, she mashed this song up on piano with Apologize by One Republic and um, You're Not Sorry. And it was a big sleigh. And I don't know why no one wants to get up up off their fucking ass and play a mashup these days. She just, she had so many mashup opportunities on the Eras tour. So many. And she said, fuck mashups. Well, and it's interesting because... I actually thought with the Eras tour, we were going to get the most mashups of all time. Same. I thought we were going to get so many era mashups where it's like different songs combined. You know, I was so hyped to hear about it and we got nothing. I know. We nothing. we got some smooth transitions from song to song, but oh, not... Oh, we did. Because the Look What You Made Me Do oh, transition is is a is a sleigh but i wouldn't that's not a mashup no no it's not anyway that's unrelated uh speak now the song i can't believe that we never got a music video for this song this is my greatest 13 year old beef of all time (laughs) furious it's true it deserved a music video it had a huge sleigh of a visual in the booklet like the Mm -hmm. the album booklet 
And it also was really good on the Speak Now tour. Like, she had one of her backup dancers dressed up as in, like, a a gown shaped like a pastry. And everyone was pretending Mm -hmm. to be bridesmaids. And it was really cute. So I kind of wonder if maybe she felt like because she did that, she didn't need to make a music video. But Mm -hmm. and, And maybe she also felt like this song wouldn't do well on the charts as a single, which she's probably right. I don't personally mm-hmm. love this song, but the visual aspect of it is fun. Yeah, I I will say now that you say that, um, like eighth grade me didn't understand that if it wasn't a single, it didn't get a music video. Yeah. I did not make the connection that those were related until much longer in my life. And so that's probably why now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, no wonder it didn't get a music video. I'm so stupid. But I agree. Uh, agree this is not the strongest song by any means it's a very simple song Mm -hmm. um and there's there's like no metaphor no illusion it's just literally like a narrative story which is kind of I think it's really fun to sing along but I'm not really listening to this on my own maybe I'll like it's like a shower song you know yeah, yeah, this one is pretty low in, like, my song ranking of mm-hmm. all-time Taylor Swift songs. It just, like you said, it doesn't do much for me. It's pretty simple, and it's a fake story. This is, I will say, this is, like, folklore Taylor, like, the beginnings of folklore Taylor, like, making up mm. stories and singing about them. Yes. Because it, it was literally just, apparently she was talking to one of her friends who was saying, oh my god, this guy that I liked for so many years is getting married and I just feel like it should be me. And then Taylor was like, all right, a song about that. It's a sick-ass song. Yeah. And it's funny also that this song is the title track, just because I guess coming after Fearless, I expected the title track of the album to be a massive serve because the song Fearless is a gigantic serve. But this song was not. Even back then, Mm -hmm. I, I like bopped to it. But I was like, once the whole album came out, I forgot about it. Mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting point because I think Speak Now as a title for this whole album actually fits really, really well because I think we'll yes. get into it a little bit later. But this is like a tea spilling album. Like she doesn't. Yes. She doesn't hold back on any front. Um, There's a real lack of anonymity for a lot of these songs. And so she like really is being like, I'm going to speak my truth right now. Mm -hmm. But it almost feels like she wanted that to be the title and was like, oh, I should have a track to go with it. And so I'm going to just kind of like throw something together that fits that title that I'm looking for. Yeah, I agree. It It is a perfect name for the album. And like going back to Back to December, that song is not holding back from telling you that it's about Mm-mm. Taylor Lautner. Like it's very clear she's referencing the VMAs that September night when she cried and your tan skin, your sweet smile. Like she didn't try to hide it at all. Mm-mm. And I think this is one of the last, this is the last album where she ever name dropped. And it's one of the last times that she was trying to like ever since this album she's kind of been really vague about who the songs were about Mm -hmm. but back in the day she didn't give a crap yes which brings us to our next song which is her most significant tea spilling i do not care at all song which is dear john yes which does include 
which is clearly about John Mayer and yes. is very upfront that it is about John Mayer. And the only time that she name drops. Yes. Yes. And it's <laughs> it's a perfect name drop. It's a perfect song title. Well, Dear John is so clever. It's so clever. It's genius. It's genius. One like Dear John letters. Right. I mean, kill me. Kill me. I know. And it's funny because in interviews at this time, I remember she kind of played it off. People asked her about this this song and what it's about. And she was like, oh, you know how the concept of a Dear John letter is like a letter you write to end a relationship or after a relationship. And, and that's what this song is. So she would never say, yeah. like, I named this Dear John because it's about John. But it is. But she mm-hmm. was able to, like, kind of use the title as a cop-out. I just th- I just think she's a it's fucking so genius. Clever. Even at age 20. It's crazy. Yeah, and this song, I'm really interested to hear this re-recording. Because I feel like this song, um, Zach the Swiftologist on YouTube was saying that this recording sounds pretty wistful like it's kind of a wistful like what could have been if you didn't fuck it up and like i'm kind of sad that this happened but you know here's my thoughts and now we know from the song would have could have should have that all these years later she's actually spent some time reflecting on this relationship and she's still angry and it's still like an open wound whereas like back when this Mm -hmm. song was fresh i think it was she didn't fully grasp like the gravity of what that relationship was and what it took away from her and Mm -hmm. so i think this re-recording has the potential to be really angry and Mm -hmm. a massive fucking serve Yes, I think this song of all the other songs on the album is the most likely to sound like quite a bit different from the original. Yeah, I agree. I'm so interested. And I'm also, when I was watching the Speak Now tour live, it is mind boggling to me that she played this song every night on the Speak Now tour. Because she's never played it live since. She's never even really acknowledged it, that it exists. And when a fan asked her to play it as a surprise song on the Reputation Tour, she said, I can't play that song. And that's like all she said. She didn't really elaborate. But the fans understand it to mean that it's too painful for her to sing. Meanwhile, back when it was fresh, she was out here playing it every night. And so I just, Mm -hmm. I'm jealous of everyone that went to the Speak Now Tour and gets to got to have the experience of seeing dear john live because no one else in the world is ever going to have that experience i just think that's fucking crazy maybe that we know of yeah i suppose oh my god if she ever plays it on the eras tour i will be gagged that will well, be so i'm so curious if post july 7th if we're gonna see a spike in speak now songs that is so interesting like would she expand the speak now segment of the actual set list i wonder that's so interesting i don't know but i'll report back after my concert on july 22nd it's true it's true yeah this this is gonna be a real interesting one i also think that dear john is the most mature song on this album because it's very clear she went through something that someone her age shouldn't have gone through and uh, it's a little jarring that this song then transitions into Mean, which, in my opinion, is one of the most juvenile songs on this album. I know. I 
even when it came out, I was not really about main first listen. I think it's kind of fun to bop around to. Mm-hmm. But generally, very, very skippable song for me. I was pretty salty that it was a single and it did get a music video. Yeah. I was like, of all of our choices, that's what we're going with. Um, I don't have a ton of thoughts about what the re-record will be. I don't anticipate it blowing me away one way or another. Yeah. No, I think this re-recording will kind of be a snooze i am interested to see what she does with the country accent because when i tell you i listened actually just today i had speak now on shuffle in the car and so i listened to the original recording of this it's literally you with your words like knives and swords and weapons that you use against me me, it's so (laughs) twangy like (laughs) it's crazy so i'm really i'm really curious if the re-recording will just completely erase that or if she'll, you know, channel her fake country accent self. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, that'll that'll certainly be interesting. <laughs> what I am so hype about is the story of us. I love this song. Maybe my favorite song on Speak Now. Really? Oh my god, yes. You don't like this song? Not that I don't like it. It's just never... I don't know. I've never connected with it for some reason. It's such a headbanger. It is a headbanger. It does have... Speak Now, she kind of was experimenting with like a pop rock, like Paramore style Mm -hmm. element. There's a lot of different sounds on this album. It's not a very cohesive album. No, it's very diverse. And the story of us is one of the most pop rock style songs. I personally think that Better Than Revenge is the better like pop rock song but the story of us is a big headbanger and it's on the speak now tour it was very fun every she asked the whole crowd to jump and everyone jumped i know this because i watched the movie not because i was there uh i think the re-recording has a real potential to go super hard i think that i really liked this song because it's such a like book analogy Obviously, it's the story of us. And I think I was maybe just like, wow, I love, I like, I love a literary reference, you know? Yeah, and she's like, next chapter. I will say that this album is her fairy tale album, which is interesting because Love Story is on Mm -hmm. Fearless. But I think this album is got big, um, like, storybook vibes to me. Yes, I agree. Interestingly enough, she almost named this album Enchanted. There's an anecdote she gave in an interview long ago oh. about how she was she sat down at lunch with Scott Borchetta, the head of Big Machine label, and said, I want to name this album Enchanted. And then she played a few of the songs for him. And supposedly he was like, Taylor, this this album, from the sound of it, is not about like high school and fairy tales anymore. I don't think that Enchanted is, is an appropriate title. And she mm-hmm. got kind of flustered and excused herself and went to the restroom. And when she came back, she said, what about Speak Now? And then he said, that's perfect. And I think I think she was right. I think he was right. Enchanted. Mm-hmm. While there is like a fairy tale element of this album, for sure, and like storybook mm-hmm. element, it doesn't fully encapsulate a song like Dear John, for example. So yeah, just back to what you were saying. Speak Now is a perfect title. We love to see it. So 
next song is Never Grow Up. And I'm really curious what your thoughts are. This song, I don't listen to it very much because it's really sad. And it's mm-hmm. a song that I didn't get as a 13-year-old because I hadn't grown yeah. up. Uh, I think this is a song I really didn't get until I revisited it as an adult. When you realize that a big part of growing up is just this painful realization that you've taken a lot of your life for granted and that everything changes once you leave and you go out on your own and you become your own person Mm -hmm. you lose something and it's a really painful part of you know that transition into adulthood and I think this song captures that really poignantly and because of how well this song captures that feeling I just can't listen to it because it's painful Mm-hmm. And that's all I have to say. So I'm like kind of scared of the yeah. re-recording because it's it has the potential to be really devastating coming from a, a fully grown up Taylor, or it has the potential to be kind of distant because like Taylor was yeah. growing up when she sang this, and so it was a pretty raw song. And and I mean as an adult, it's not the same. I don't know. I don't know. I see you've written in the notes makes me emo hate listening to it. And I agree. Yeah. No, I I feel the exact same way as you. I honestly don't really have anything to add. I never listen to this song unless I like want to cry and then call my mother. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, it's not for me. I mean, not that it's not for me. It's a good song. And the fact that it's such a good song means that I can't listen to it. it I just don't I'm like I don't need to invite this kind of like sad nostalgia into my life and mm-hmm. like I don't need a song to send me into a spiral of like existential crisis so I don't I just don't need it <laughs> yeah agreed I think especially when I was in like my early 20s this song really did kind of send me spiraling like some of the lyrics are just so killer like I just realized everything I had is someday going to be gone. Oh, yeah. In fact, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. I want to talk. Let's move on. <laughs> so let's move um, on to the best song ever made, which is Enchanted. Yeah, it's so funny because I really liked this song when it came out. And like, it was not my fave song. I enjoyed it, though. And somehow at some point in my life, this song has completely been rewritten in my mind as Riley's song. I'm like, this song belongs to you. I feel like I don't have any ownership or any right to like like it. I'm like, this is just <laughs> Riley's. I don't, I don't have a piece in this game. And it's just so funny because whenever I hear it, I'm like, OMG, Riley loves this song. <laughs> <laughs> You've really so made your mark. <laughs> I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did because this song, I remember like, kind of the moment where I realized as a 14 year old wow this is my favorite Taylor Swift song ever made and it's funny Mm -hmm. because I also distinctly remember listening to the album for the first time when it came out and thinking that Enchanted was boring because it's like six minutes long so it's a really long song and it's slow but then I I used to have like a little sleep playlist I still do I've always been a sleep playlist girly, but as a teenager, Enchanted was at the top of my sleep playlist. And so that like soft guitar strumming was Mm -hmm. like just so soothing to me as, you know, a teenager experiencing so much angst and then get laying down to go to sleep every night. And then I would just hear those opening chords and be like, ah, okay, everything's all right. 
And then it's such a perfect encapsulation of what it feels like to have a crush. It's perfect. For sure. It's the most perfect song ever made. I'm so passionate about this song because in all my years as a Taylor Swift fan, there have been songs that have come in and out of my top five because she's Mm -hmm. consistently releasing new music and she keeps improving upon herself. So pretty much everything that used to be in my top five has, you know, made its way down because she just keeps making better music. But Enchanted has some sort, some specific, something about it that has kept it in my top five my entire life. It's a timeless song. And yeah, if she ruins it on the re-recording, I'll kill myself. <laughs> I don't think she will, though. I think she loves this song, too. I don't too. think she will. And um, on that note, <laughs> it's so bizarre to me that she transitions from Enchanted to Better Than Revenge. I'm like, who who hurt you? I mean, like, what were, like, it's just so chaotic. This whole album is such an emotional roller coaster ride because there's, like, no rhyme or reason is what it feels like to the order of these songs. Yeah. <laughs> It's true. Like, going from Dear John to Mean, and then the story of us to never grow up to Enchanted to Better Than Revenge. Like, it's whiplash. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I love Better Than Revenge. This is such a good song. I don't think this is, like... It's interesting because I think this song is pretty... We I think we've talked about this before, about how... This is sort of Mm pre-feminism, Taylor, where Mm -hmm. there's definitely some, like, this song is all about the girl, and she blames everything on this other woman, and she, like, says some, like, pretty questionable things. Like, she's better known for the things that she does on the mattress. Yes. Mm, Let's not, we're not singing that one in 2023. It's so unhinged. Um, It's so unhinged. She actually sounds... This is where... I think this is, like, sort of the beginning of when she gets, like, this crazy girl persona Mm -hmm. stuck on her because she does sound a little crazy. I'm not going to lie. That doesn't mean it's not an absolute bop. It's such a banger. But I I am curious. I think that there's potential for her to change some of the lyrics of this song. I'm really curious about the treatment that this song will get because I think just just from like the general consensus in the fandom is that people love this song and they and there's mm-hmm. always the joke that like the feminism leaves my body when I listen to Better Than Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> and and I don't know how much of that Taylor sees, but I hope that she sees that like we as fans we understand this like really juvenile uh frame of Mm -hmm. mind where you think that your boyfriend leaving you is the girl's fault Mm -hmm. like I think we've all been there like when you're so young you just don't really consider the fact that when a when a boy leaves you then and he gets with another girl then that girl stole him like when that's kind of the narrative that you know you see in like teenage teenager centric shows and stuff like that in the media Mm -hmm pre-feminism like once again this was 2010 this was long before things like me too and so i think it's like we understand why taylor was in this frame of mind 
Um, was mm-hmm. it cool for her to write this song about this and so openly call out this girl? No, because everyone knew who it was about, too. And so everyone was slut shaming her and she didn't deserve that. But at the same time, it's such a banger. The tour performance on the Speak Now tour was such a sleigh. There was this voice message that would play at the beginning that was like, leave a message, make it hot. Now go stand in the corner and think about what you did. Like, it's so good. And so I... I will be sad if she changes any of the lyrics just because I think this was such a moment in time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all say and do things we regret when we're young. And this is one of the one things that she did. But she she has spoken on it since then and acknowledged that it was wrong. Mm-hmm. So I don't think she needs to change the lyrics. I don't know. I think I agree. I think the only thing would be if she speaks to uh what's her name camilla bell mm-hmm. and is like because here's the thing i think we saw this with all too well when she released that one like each time she does these re-releases it is dredging up a lot of this past drama that was laid to rest and like taylor swift fans are psychos and i think sometimes it like brings up stuff that's better left in the past and people are like oh no I, I want to come at this person again even though it's been a decade since they did anything mm-hmm. and I think in particular because this girl I mean regardless of what she did or didn't do did not deserve to have this like I just can't imagine if I'm like a 21 year old and somebody sings this song about me I know to like thousands of people I mean I devastating genuinely and so i could see her potentially changing things or doing things just a little bit different if she if like this if she like speaks to this girl and this girl is like bro please don't this was like really painful for me i think she's in consensus seems to be that her and joe jonas are in like a good spot Mm -hmm. and are like have a positive relationship so i think that at this point I personally would expect her to kind of consult with those people that she's in, you know, has moved past some Mm -hmm. of the drama with them and to be like, hey, like, what are your thoughts on this? And like, do you have any input? I think I think that by now there's a certain level of like if you're really going to take ownership for what you did in the past I think if you want to re-release it, you have to consult with these people that it's so obviously about. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if she, like, regrets it. I think the Dear John thing is different. We know the Dear John thing is still sort of a source of pain for her. So I don't expect her to, like, consult with John Mayer or anything like that. But I think because she's expressed regret about these particular lyrics and like this particular girl i think i would expect some some consultation personally interesting i kind of don't see taylor doing that but maybe with a girl with another woman it's different just because she said in an interview during the red taylor's version era someone asked her about like, what? Oh, yeah. Like, do you think about the experience of the people you wrote these songs about? And she said, no, I don't think about their experience at all. I feel like that was specifically about Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. I don't think it was about anyone else. I think she's still bitter about that relationship. Yeah. 
But that brings us to another hot button song. Yes. Um, which is Innocent, which is so clearly uh, about Kanye West. Yes. Which we had sort of discussed this before recording that this album is so full of tea and like she didn't hold back at all mm-hmm. with like trying to hide um or be vague about the people she was singing about and i do wonder if part of the reason why speak now was so delayed uh the taylor's version speak now was so delayed is because she wanted to feel like it was a semi-safe space to bring up a lot of this older drama um especially the kanye west i mean at this point, I like who knows? Maybe he'll acknowledge it when she releases it and say something crazy. Maybe he won't. We have no idea. But I think society is going to be on her side this time. Mm-hmm. And I think she was probably just waiting it out until she felt like, okay, regardless of what happens, society is going to be on my side for this go around. He's just such a loose cannon. Um, I know. But I wonder if that played at all into her order of albums i know that is interesting to think about i don't know i just kind of think with innocent that song kind of just proves that she was on the right side of history where you know he was openly attacking her and she just said like i forgive you and i'm ready to move on if you are and then Mm -hmm. he clearly wasn't ready to move on but I don't know. If I were her, I think I would be proud to re-release this song because it shows even at such a young mm-hmm. age when she was immature about a lot of things, she did her best to maturely handle that situation. Is the song a little bit backhanded? Yes. 32 and still growing up now. <laughs> Is that a little backhanded? Yes. But I, I, as it should be, in my opinion. Yeah, I will say I. it's interesting because I don't really... I don't totally read this album as, like, a bigger person song or or even necessarily, like, a forgiveness song as much as I read it as, like, a very passive-aggressive sort of, well, you're just an idiot and it's okay <laughs> kind of vibe, you know? Like, I, yeah. I think if somebody wrote this song about me, I would be, like, pretty offended. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't be like, wow, she's such a bigger person here. It's true. It's true. It's pretty passive-aggressive, which, knowing that she was, like, 19 when she wrote this, I mean, yeah, it checks out. Yeah, it checks out. out. And it's a good song. I, um, I, it doesn't stick with me in any particular significant way, except for the fact that it's, like, the Kanye West song. I don't... I don't like it's not one of my faves, but I don't dislike it. I'm just very meh about it. Yeah, I don't have a lot of opinions on what the re-recording will sound like. My guess is it'll sound pretty much the same. I did sort of have like what would you call it? Like a this song had like a resurgence for me, a reawakening mm. in my life a couple of years ago. Um, I think when I was kind of going through uh, my my big faith transition, I -hmm. was kind of in this place where I was struggling with how I had a certain understanding of the world, 
and then I completely lost it and had Mm. no idea what I thought about anything. And so I was reflecting on how much simpler it was when, you know, I was basically told how to understand the world. And then I, for some reason, listened to this song at one point and was like, oh my God. Like, if you take this song out of the Kanye context, there's some really great lines about, like, growing up. Yeah. And, like, wasn't it easier in your firefly firefly catching days with everything, when everything out of reach, someone bigger brought down to you? Mm-hmm. Wasn't it beautiful running wild till you fell asleep before the monsters caught up to you? And time turns flames to embers, you'll have new Septembers. Minds change like the weather. That's very true. I hope you remember today is never too late to be brand new. There's some really sweet lines in here. So I, I just remember, like, laying in bed listening to this song, crying at one point in, like, probably like 2021 because i was like mm-hmm. damn my life is a lot less simple than it was when i was younger yeah i think if you pair innocent with never grow up mm-hmm. you get a very different and much more insightful narrative than better than revenge and then innocent yeah that, that those are like two very different vibes and so i I think maybe what's interesting is, will she change, like, the order of the album? Same songs, different order? I doubt it. I think that... Okay, fine. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, I feel like she, could. she could. It changes things for me, but... It does. It does. Okay, Haunted. Let's talk about Haunted. This one feels like the best kept secret in the fandom i feel like no one talks about this song and it's amazing I have the same experience i feel like i forget about this song and then it'll come on and i'm like bopping i'm like this is such a sleigh why don't i listen to this more often and then when it ends i immediately forget i don't understand yeah there's something about it that's a little bit forgettable and i kind of wonder if it's because her vocals weren't quite what they wanted to be. I think this song requires mm. her to kind of belt. And she didn't really have a belt back then. She never has had a super strong belting voice. But right, I, right. I think she she has a lot stronger voice now, obviously, than she did when she was younger. And so I, I think this song has big potential to be a massive sleigh in the re-record. I just think the orchestra element of it is so yes. good. It goes so hard. Whoever gets a piano version of Haunted at their Eras tour, um, I don't care if something good happened to you. It should have happened to me. This song <laughs> is amazing. And I hope the re-record is a slate. I also, this is just uh, random, but most people are kind of of the opinion that this song was just a vague song written about the feeling of being haunted by someone. I have always been of the opinion that this is a Joe Jonas song. Because Mm. she said in interviews back in the day that she wrote this song in the middle of the night, like when she woke up just like stressed about thinking about a relationship where she was um, feeling it deteriorating and and -hmm. she couldn't get that off her mind. And like it makes sense to me that that would be about Joe Jonas because we know that he left her for Camilla Bell. And so there was probably a period where he was kind of talking to Camilla Bell and, and contemplating breaking up with Taylor and she felt him going cold. Something mm. made your eyes grow cold. That's that's my interpretation of this song. People, Many people may disagree, but I think it's interesting to think of in that context. 
Well, it's also interesting because it's followed by Last Kiss, which is a known Joe Jonas song. Yes. Um, So I I do think that maybe... I think it's interesting because Better Than Revenge is Joe Jonas. Last Kiss is Joe Jonas. And those are both on the later half of the album. I don't know if you know of any earlier songs that are potentially about him, but... Forever and Always, all of... Fearless. That's wow, a... you just... The speed at which you ripped that out. No, it's like I a... was just going to say, like, is the first half of the album a little bit separated from the Joe Jonas section? I don't know. Yeah. It, Maybe it reading too much be. into that. No, I don't know. The, the Joe Jonas story is the only one that's been told across multiple albums, which I just find mm-hmm. really interesting because Forever and Always, it's very clear. She made that clear in an interview with Ellen that Joe that Forever and Always is about Joe Jonas. And she's like angry in that one. And then in Last mm-hmm. Kiss, in the liner notes that she did in the Speak Now booklet, the liner notes for this song is Forever and Always. So she's basically saying this song is about Joe Jonas. They're one in the same. She also, the intro to this song is 27 seconds long. He famously broke up with her in a 27 second phone call. So she was not holding back with the Easter egging on this song. Mm-hmm. And then Holy Ground on Red is about, is, is very clearly about, um, you know, how she felt when he came to her show in San Diego because the secret message on that song in the album booklet is when you came to the show in SD. And so overall, she's kind of written this like arc of the angry stage, the depressed stage, and the acceptance stage of a breakup across three albums about Joe Jonas. And I just love that. I just think that that is really great that we get to see her have that experience from her first breakup. And Last Kiss, I I don't think the re-recording is going to do it for me, honestly. I just don't think there's any way she can replicate the raw emotion that's on this song. I would agree. I think it'll probably be a little bit of like a letdown, um, which I hate that I'm going to have to listen to the OG Last Kiss because I've really been mentally committed that I will never listen to any of the... Like once the Taylor's version is out, I'm like, well, this is where my... Like, my alliance lies. I can't listen to any other version, but I I might have to for Last Kiss. There's a few, yeah, where, like, Holy Ground, I still listen to the OG on that one because, for some reason, the, the Taylor's version is not as good. So there's some songs where it's just like, you know what, I grew up with this song. I know it's been stolen, but mm-hmm. it's not my responsibility <laughs> to make a billionaire richer, so... I'm going to listen That's to the true. stolen version. That's fair. Um, one song that I do think is potentially going to be better on the re-record is Long Live. I feel like it... <sighs> yeah. You don't think so? I think... No, I think I it'll like, be better. I think it's going to have... Or it could have more emotional punch. Because I think when she originally recorded Long Live, that mindset and the what she's writing about is not the same as where she is now. Mm-hmm. Um, Agreed. And I think that it, I think it still applies to her, but in a different context. Like now it's much more so, because like then Long Live was 
more about like a fleeting career and like she's having this time with her band and her friends and like she knows they're only going to be together for like this finite period of time but they want to sort of leave it's like very daisy jones-esque uh yes kind of vibe of like we'll always have this time to like remember together yes and now in present day as we talked about earlier she's like the world's biggest star She's not necessarily with that band anymore or anything like that. But I think that now Long Live can almost be more of, like, a tribute to herself Mm -hmm. and, like, her fans rather than, like, herself and her career. Agreed. I think Long Live has, over the years, it's kind of become this song that the fans and Taylor, like, kind of share something i don't really know how to explain Mm -hmm. it but on the reputation tour she mashed this song up with new year's day on the piano Mm -hmm. and it's a really emotional performance where she's she basically made the song both new year's day and long live into this message to the fans of like thank you for sticking by me uh when i completely when my reputation had never been worse essentially and so Mm -hmm. i think over this period of time long live has become this song that that is a testament to her fans standing by her throughout all these years whereas back in the day like you said it was like a it it was a song she wrote when she was like wow this career I'm having is amazing and it could end at any moment so I need to be present and hold on to it and Mm -hmm. obviously that wasn't the case so yeah it'll be an interesting re-recording for sure this song used to just be everything to me i think it's a little Mm. juvenile to me now but it still is really special because of what it's become yeah i would agree i think it's i think it's like a sweet song yeah but not not something that i'm listening to it doesn't rock my world agreed it used to completely rock my world now it's just like cute um i see that on the bonus songs you've written do we have time no (laughs) Yeah, I've made the executive decision. I don't think we have time. Here's what I'll say. Um, If this was a movie has been abducted and placed on Fearless, so that one, that re-recording's already out, and it slays. Superman, I don't care. I'll never listen to that song. It's in my bottom five. Ours will be a cute re-record, but that song is like a little cringe for me because it's a John Mayer song. And it's interesting because I didn't think, I didn't realize that it was a John Mayer song because she's so clearly like talking about working in an office and like a boy with a gap yeah. in his teeth. And um, I don't know, the gap in the teeth really sticks with me, always has. Because I was like, that's such a strange thing to to say. It doesn't feel as strange now that I'm older, but I think when I was 13, I was like, what? I know. Um, I yeah I think the song is kind of cringe now it it has not done it for me in a long time it didn't stay it didn't age well with me agreed I thought it was an amazing song when I was 13 like well people throw rocks at things that shine but now it just comes across to me as a song written by a girl in an abusive relationship who was being deluded into thinking everything was fine and it's just a little sinister to me damn Damn, I didn't even think about that part. See, once again, I didn't know it was John Mayer. I um, I, I mean, thought it was like a... It's disputed within the fandom, but I think everyone kind of understands that song to be about... Because, like, she references the tattoos and snide remarks from her dad. And 
we know from the song Dear John that her parents were not on board with that relationship. So I think a lot of people just have kind of drawn conclusions there that it's about John Mayer. But she did sing it as a surprise song on the Eras tour. So it's clear she's able she's been able to unassociate it with that time in her life and still perform it. I don't know. Interesting. The music video does nothing for me because she like made Agreed. it into an office thing and it's like Taylor, you've never worked in an office in your life. You don't know what this is like. I know. I know. I was like listening it to it today and I was like, "Shut up, Taylor. <laughs> don't don't come for this. I don't want to link that world with you." Yeah, don't yeah, stay out of the office world and talk about experiences that you've actually had. Thanks. Um <laughs> One final thing I wanted to say is regarding vault tracks. I don't want to spend a hundred years talking about all the unreleased songs I think could be on here, but there is one song that is a legend in the fandom called Castles Crumbling that no one has heard. Everyone only knows the title because it's on some kind of list that like this secretive group called Taylor's Inner Circle, who apparently has a collection of her unreleased songs has this song's title on a list, but no one has heard it, including Taylor's Inner Circle. So for years, the fandom has been like frothing at the mouth over this song because the title is so intriguing, but no one has heard it. And I think it's going to be one of the vault tracks because there was a castle in the Bejeweled music video that was literally crumbling at the end of the video. And that's what I have to say Ooh. about that. So when Castle's Crumbling, wow. Taylor's version from the vault is on the album... Um, just know I clocked it. All right. I'm so glad that you got that on record. Yep. I just had to make that known. And if we get a music video, it could very potentially be for that song. Because I think Taylor knows that it's one that everyone has begged her for Mm -hmm. for years. Yeah. And I think the big part about the re-records and the vault tracks is that she feels like, or she not that she feels like but she literally does now have the freedom to release what she wants when she wants versus previously it doesn't matter if like the fans want it and taylor wants it like at the end of the day like the people producing the album get to make those choices Mm -hmm. not her and so i think that that's a i think you're right i think you get a there's a high likelihood that if the fan, like the popular fandom wanting songs, this is their time. Yeah, but I don't really have much speculation beyond that, just because most of the unreleased songs that I know uh, are from the debut and Fearless era. So mm. it was around Speak Now that she started kind of locking them down. So there's a famous one called Battle that a lot of f- fans have heard, and it's kind of like a precursor to the story of us. A lot of people think that it's going to be on there, but I don't because I, here's a hot take. Anyone who's heard Battle and loves it, I'm sorry, but I don't think it's very good. I think the story of us is better. And so I don't think it'll be on there, but um, we'll see. Maybe I'll be wrong. There we go. Historian Riley has spoken and that's that on that. That's that on that. I have spoken now. I hope you enjoyed it. Do you have anything to add? I do not. I do not. I'm really looking forward to it. And maybe we'll revisit this discussion once it's out. But yes, I'm sure we'll have to see. lots to say on July 7th when it comes out. So come back then for some more Taylor talk. If you or come like, back sooner. Yeah, I'm sure we'll have more to say about Taylor Swift. <laughs> because clearly we can talk about it for a long time. We've been recording for an hour and 52 minutes now. So hee <laughs> hee.
If you enjoyed this and you'd like to discuss Taylor Swift with us, feel free to hit us up on Instagram at the Great Obsession Pod or email us at thegreatobsessionpod at gmail.com. You can also find us wherever you listen to podcasts and tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.